This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments, but in Exodus 34, God gives Moses a second set of principles that really underscore what it means to be a godly leader. These are the Ten Commandments of Leadership, if you will. And on today's podcast, we'll discover them together and how we can learn to leverage our influence with integrity and grace. Now, all the principles that I'll be sharing today are from verses 10 through 26 of Exodus 34. But in the interest of time, I won't be reading those verses. I encourage you to go back and look at them as you study this chapter for yourself. Now, when we come to Exodus 34, we see a man who was more than a little frustrated with how things had turned out. He'd been the mouthpiece through which God had demonstrated his power on behalf of his covenant people. He parted the Red Sea and the people had gathered at the base of Mount Sinai where God himself had chosen to tabernacle with them. The infinite, transcendent God decided to step into time and space and reveal himself personally to his people, condescending to them and showing himself to them. Take a minute for that, to let that settle on you. What an incredible sight. Moses drew a line around the mountain and told them to stand back as God descended. Lightning and thunder were the opening acts. A great cloud of smoke descended, and the Lord's voice thundered from the mountain. God's voice was so loud in the midst of the people that they begged God to speak only to Moses and let him carry it to them. So Moses ascended up into the mountain, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, until eventually they thought Moses had gotten lost. How can you witness the majestic display of God's presence and power and give up on waiting to hear from him? But that's precisely what they did, and it's exactly what we do. So they built a golden calf. Now think of this. God and Moses is face to face in the mountain. And these stiff-necked people are worshiping a calf made of gold taken as Jehovah spoiled the Egyptians. And we learn that this gold was to be used in the tabernacle that God would ask them to construct here in just a few chapters. Needless to say, God was ready to annihilate these people, ready to walk away and destroy these people altogether. Yet Moses descends the mountain, kills the people responsible, he and the Levites, and then ascends the mountain again to intercede for the people. He asked God to remember his character, his promise, his faithfulness. He asked how God would be honored by delivering them and then destroying them. Moses' thoughts are centered on the glory of God in his leadership. This is the prerequisite for godly leaders. They must be concerned with God's glory and reputation more than their own. This is the type of leader that God honors. And here in these verses, we are given 10 short principles that I think could really help us as we think about leadership and what it means to be a godly leader. The first one I see is in verse 14 of Exodus 34. And that is this, to have no idols. This is in direct correlation with what they just experienced with the golden calf. You see, God wanted their worship for himself. He is a jealous God, and how could he not be? 
It was he who had called them. It was he who had established a covenant with Abraham, who had given him a son. It was he who had given them an increase under Jacob. He was the one who had rescued them through Joseph. He was the one who had prospered them in Egypt. He was the one that drew them out of bondage and delivered them miraculously. He was the one that had chosen to tabernacle with them and who would now forgive them. Now, we may not have golden calves in our lives per se, but there are spiritual golden calves of ambition, pride, and power. There is the idol of activity that tells us what we have to do more and more and more, more activities, more programs, more things. All as Tozer said, to house our golden calf. If the sovereign Lord is the supreme leader, then human leaders who have been entrusted by God cannot afford to allow their hearts to be drawn away from him. When a leader stops following the Lord, he has severed the source of his power and the ability to lead in a manner that the Lord desires for his under-shepherds. We have to understand and to keep our hearts from idols that cloud our judgment, compete for our affections, and divert our attention. In leadership, it can be helpful to ask yourself when trying to decide on leadership, is this housing a golden calf for me? Is there an angle here that caters to the secret idols that rule my heart? Gray leaders know how to recognize and ruthlessly annihilate all other claims to the throne of their heart, except their great savior from whom their leadership is derived. The second rule is to make no compromise. This is in verses 15 and 16. God wanted Moses and the children of Israel to not make any covenants or treaties with those who possessed the land that was theirs. They were not to do this because these treaties would turn their commitment to God and enslave them into the chains of other interests and relationships. In our lives, there will always be opportunities where we are tempted to compromise the truth for the sake of peace or passion for the sake of acceptance. There will be those that draw us to settle for less than what God has. This happens over and over in ministry. We cannot settle for less than what God desires. We do not have the option to make treaties with the enemy. If we realize that our platform is a trust, in that case, we must not arbitrarily allow quarter and land to the enemy because it means our own particular designs are being met. We do not have that liberty. Our commanding officer has not authorized us to do this. More than that, he has expressly forbidden it. We must ask ourselves, in what way am I making a compromise for the sake of peace or convenience? We must continually take inventory of our hearts and ruthlessly and honestly eliminate compromise and settle for less than what God asks for us. Number three, trust the Lord's way. This is found in verse 17. This is the first of three feasts that God commands Moses to remember. Oftentimes, the pace in our lives and ministry, we don't often take time to reflect or evaluate where we are. We are a flurry of activity at all times that can create blind spots in our lives. The discipline of solitude and silence before the Lord is often neglected in God's servants, and we usually pay a steep price for programming ourselves to death. The purpose of the feast was a scheduled time each year where all the nation of Israel would collectively stop and remember certain times in their lives where the Lord was active on their behalf. How much different our ministry and leadership would be if it was moored by the stalwart cornerstones of remembrance. 
If we took time to take inventory of how God's character has been revealed in our lives and ministry, it would promote our trust in his character and reestablish our reliance and dependence upon him in our leadership and ministry. Such was the case with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread was eaten on the night of the Passover in Egypt. That night was the culmination of God's mighty plagues on that nation. God used these plagues to reveal his character and power to the nations of the world and to demonstrate that this God was in a covenant relationship and was bound by his own righteousness to stand as this people's protector and provider. During the night of the Passover, the death angel, who I personally believe was the Lord himself, walked through the camp and slew the firstborn of every house. Every person stood in judgment before the Lord because of their sin. The only way that they would be saved is if they slew the lamb and ate it with the unleavened bread. They would also have to take the blood over the doorpost of the house, signifying their express obedience to God's revealed plan. This would require their absolute trust and unquestioned obedience. This feast was instituted to remind them how completely reliant they were on obeying God's plan for their salvation and sustenance. It reminded them that God's plan was perfect and that they would survive only if they followed it expressly. The same is true for us. As leaders, we need time to look back and remember how God has provided a way of escape, of provision for us. How important it is for us to walk in complete obedience to God's revealed will and plan. This covenant God, this same God of power and provision, stands in covenant with us, awaiting our obedience and implicit trust in Him. It requires faith to act before results are seen. We must have faith to obey and trust the Lord's way is best, and we must have time to remember God's faithfulness when we obeyed. The fourth rule that I see here is to understand that God is the giver of all things and that they must be redeemed. God wanted Moses and the children of Israel to give the first fruits of everything to the Lord and then to redeem the rest of them by paying the price for them. We see this in verses 19 and 20. This was done to remind the people of Israel that everything they received is from God and must be redeemed, that is, bought back, made use of properly used in such a way that the giver was pleased with how it was used. The firstborn had been spared in Egypt, and they belonged first of all to the Lord, and they had to be redeemed or repurchased. The same is true for our leadership. Every degree of influence that God has given us is temporary and is given expressly by God. It is owned by God. He alone is the one who provides impact. Our talents are his, our influence is his, and the glory is to be his as well. Consequently, we have to labor to redeem the gifts and measure of influence that God has granted us in this season. It is not ours to use selfishly to pursue our own desires. They're to be used to leverage for the kingdom of God and its advance through the gospel for his glory. We must take steps to redeem with a price the influence that God has given us. We must use it wisely. It may mean that we have to limit our freedoms for the sake of leveraging them properly. That is a price we must be willing to pay. It may mean that we should work to sharpen the tools that God has placed in our hands. A good steward would be faithful with that calling and those gifts. He would be willing to pay the price to sharpen them and strengthen them so that they can be leveraged with maximum effectiveness for the glory of God alone. 
Everything is borrowed, including our leadership, and we must be faithful with it. God will hold us accountable for the measure of influence that he has placed in our hand. The fifth rule is to leave the results of your labor to God. This is in verse 21. God had the people to rest from their labor on the Sabbath day. This was to remind them that their harvest depended not on their own work, but on the Lord. When we labor for the Lord, we can get the wrong idea that we are the ones who are enacting the harvest. But a Sabbath rest is an intentional cessation of labor to remind ourselves that ultimately the crop for our work for the Lord lies not in our hands, but in the Lord of the harvest. This is why rhythms of rest are so important for the Christian. They remind us that though we are working, God is working in us to accomplish his plans. He alone can bring a good harvest. We are dependent upon him, and that dependence must be verified through the intentional faith that it takes to trust God with the results of our lives. That faith is shown when we rest in him during regular intervals. Ultimately, this is God's work, and he has allowed us to be a part of working in his field. The sixth rule is found in verse 22, and that is to remember God's past faithfulness. At the turn of the agricultural year, the people observed the festival of booths or shelters. It was a general feast where the people were to remind themselves of God's faithfulness through the wilderness season of their journey. They were to live in tents and remember how God had delivered them from Egypt, how he had annihilated the Egyptian army in the sea. They were to place the manna and the water from the rock and the provision of the tabernacle and their time at Sinai. All these things were to be placed in the front of their mind. All of this was to keep them ever mindful that God finishes what he started and that he will provide as he directs. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. This is important for us to understand that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If Christ has called you as a leader to an appointment, he will complete that work. They were to remind themselves of God's faithfulness in that endeavor. And as leaders, we would do well to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the work that he has called us to do as well. It's easy to forget and be discouraged. Leaders have to be intentional about reminding themselves of God's past faithfulness as a reinforcement to the work that he is doing in our lives and through our lives. Number seven. You're accountable. Verse 23, every male was to present themselves before the Lord every three years. They were accountable for living as God's people. They knew that standing before the Lord would expose their sin and their flaws. They could not pull the wool over God's eyes and therefore it spurred their integrity and served to curb their depravity. As leaders, we must remember that we too are accountable for the influence that God has given us. We will stand before him, and at that moment, we cannot fool the Lord the way that we may fool some people. Our naked ambition and unselfish motives will be exposed at that moment. The knowledge of this should cause us to live with integrity and sincerity concerning both our motives and our actions. We cannot hide sin from God. They will find us out. And we would do well to systematically eradicate it from our life, knowing that we will give an account of ourselves to God. I'd hate to think that I had squandered one day of influence that God had given me. The eighth rule that I see is to make sure that your motives are pure. 
Much is made of the concept of leaven. This is found in verse 25. Leaven or decay or decomposition is used in the Bible as a picture of sin. The unleavened bread was bread with no decay. It was bread without sin in it. Remember, they were to eat the unleavened bread at the Passover. There was unleavened bread at the bread of the presence in the tabernacle. Symbolically, it was not contaminated with the decay that comes from sin. This is what is in view here. The priests were to bring the sacrifice to God. As priests in God's kingdom today, we are responsible for bringing our lives as living sacrifices before the Lord. This is a reasonable service, Paul said, that God has anointed us to do. It is the labor of our lives serving the Lord. And as leaders, we have to remember that that sacrifice is not to be habitually mingled with the leaven of this life. It is not to be contaminated by sinful motives that lurk underneath the surface. While it may not be seen initially, what leaven does is cause the bread to rise. And over time, the leaven in our lives will be exposed as our offering is tainted before the Lord. We must make sure that our motives are pure in serving God. Over time, it will be contaminated by the leaven of sin. The offering will be changed. It will be apparent to not only the Lord, but also to those around us. A ninth truth that I see here is in verse 26. Don't give God the leftovers. This is pretty straightforward. God deserves our best, the first fruit of our lives, not merely the leftovers. As leaders, God deserves the best of our lives, our talents, our abilities, our resources. It all belongs to him, and he deserves our best, not what we have left. This also speaks to our cultivation of the gifts that God has given us. Our talents are the first fruits of our lives, and like fruit, we have to tend it, take care of it, manage it, cultivate it, harvest it, and then give it to the Lord. So with the talents that God has given us, we owe it to him to develop them, to not be lazy in honing or sharpening them, and then to use them for the Lord's kingdom first. The final rule that I see here is in verse 26. Don't let your influence be used selfishly. This takes on a very peculiar form, but it's nonetheless essential. The Lord commanded Moses not to cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, it's fascinating to consider the origins of this command. Many people believe that it was an idolatrous ceremony that was to be used as a potion for infertility. They would sacrifice the animal and then cook it in its mother's milk to request the, their gods for a child. This ceremony was a complete picture that the goat is being cooked in the very thing that was intended to give it life. For this reason, it's not kosher to eat meat and drink meal, milk at the same meal in many Orthodox Jewish cultures. But the point of the prohibition is that what was to give us life should not be used for nefarious motives of our own selfishness. God has given us influence in this life to use for his glory. We cannot use that life-giving influence that comes from God to appease our own selfish appetites. This application is profoundly essential for leaders. This is because we are known for using our power to massage our own ego rather than using it for the purpose of which God gave us that influence. That purpose is namely his glory and advancing his kingdom. So let's pray together. God, as we come to realize that all influence comes from you, help us to be faithful in using it for your glory. May our lives be lived and our influence be leveraged with integrity, grace, and faithfulness. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. 
For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.